Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith, and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. iTunes, life, faith, hope. This is Open House with Stephen O'Doherty. Wherever you are in Australia, it's always good to have you with us in Bendigo on Life FM. The top of 25 tomorrow, there's no chance of rain for Bendigo tomorrow. Throw away the umbrellas. Sun protection, though, recommended until 4.30pm. Very high UV up to 8. And a low to moderate fire danger for Bendigo. In Mount Gambier on Lime FM 104.9, it's really good to have your company tonight. And uh, the chance of fog in the morning for Mount Gambier. A sunny day, though, with light winds and a top of... And there won't be any rain in Mount Gambia tomorrow. Or so I'm advised. It's always good to add that codicil at the end, you know, just in case it comes back to... No, I don't recall. I don't recall, Your Worship. No, no idea. It wasn't there. Someone who looked like me. Dog ate my homework. The Weather Bureau told me. No rain in Mount Gambia at all. Well, to this issue... As you know, the Queensland government has now decriminalised abortion. It means that New South Wales is the only state where abortion is still re- still regarded as a matter for the criminal law, um, although there are certainly plenty of ways in which women can and do access abortions in that state of New South Wales. But in Queensland, they've said it's a health issue. This has been the case in other states as well. And in Queensland, they've said that women can legally terminate their pregnancy now at 22 weeks. And uh, this is a decision entirely for the woman involved, who needs the signature of two medical practitioners to agree. This has always been a most difficult issue as it touches on the very issue of when life begins and what life is, and whether the women woman's rights... Uh, override the right of the unborn child. In a moment, we're going to speak with Emily's Voice, a Queensland abortion organisation. Well, it's an organisation that that encourages people to love the unborn child, and that's a really important distinction that we'll go to, into in just a moment. But I did want to remind you of an interview we had last year on this question, and this went to the issue of whether a woman is always free to choose When we spoke last year with Leanne, who'd had an abortion, she found in the very vocal community of which she was a part that she had very little real choice. That that definitely was something that I didn't expect. I didn't expect so many people to be so casual, I would say, about such a massive decision. But ultimately... Um, what I've come to realise is that abortion is so dismissive and not taken as seriously, I think, now. And so it was just like, a, well, don't have it because, you know, it's such an easy procedure and it's so quick and it's so accessible. So the majority of people were saying, you shouldn't, you can't, all of the no's, which made me think, oh, okay, well, I guess that's... Yeah, it would be silly of me to say yes, almost, if that makes sense. Was it your first inclination when you found out you were pregnant? When I found out I was pregnant, I was so excited. I was so excited and I honestly thought, wow, I'm pregnant, I'm going to have a baby. This is really unexpected, but this is really exciting and, um, you know, (laughs) unplanned but not unwanted. And were you in a relationship with the baby's father? Yeah, and so we had been together for four months at that time. Um, 
and I had to wait until the night to tell him and I was very excited all day and by the end of that conversation he had told me, well, you know what we're going to do. And I was dumbfounded and I went, I, I actually hadn't even considered that he would say something like that at all. Yeah. And yet you did go ahead with the abortion and, I mean, we understand that abortion is very much considered to be the woman's choice. Was it actually your choice? I feel it wasn't. I feel it was so many people around me who had influenced my decision. Um, another point to make, which I didn't realise was so such an important part of the decision-making process, is that I had horrendous morning sickness. All right. I was incredibly ill, I was tired, I was weak, and so my fight was almost hampered by that, physically. Um, but yeah, there was just so many people around me saying, no, have, you know, have the abortion. Now, the law as it stands says that uh, abortion is uh, allowable in the case where either the mother or, or the baby, where their lives are threatened. But, Leanne, when you went for counselling, what was your experience like, the counselling prior to the procedure? So just before, um, well, actually, I'll take it from the start. You just call up. You just call up an abortion clinic. They ask you how far along you are or how long, far along you think you are. Um, when was your last missed period? And then they just say, this is the price, and bring extra underwear and socks and your Medicare card. And then you show up there, they'll get you to fill out some forms and you have a counselling session before the abortion. And I remember going in thinking, because I knew that, I knew that if she said I couldn't have an abortion, then I couldn't. And I was hoping for that. And the first question was, what's the reason for this abortion? I said, oh, well, we've only known each other four months. And she said, that's a very good reason to get an abortion. She said the fact that you had known your partner for four months was a good reason for an abortion. Yeah, and um, she never asked me if it was my choice. She never asked me how I truly felt. She didn't even ask my partner to come into the room. She just said, yes, I absolutely know that that's a, that's a great um, reason to... You know, she said that, a great reason to have an abortion. And I remember thinking, please ask me more questions. Please see that this is not what I want and I guess I was uh, naive to think that she was there to help me. Leanne as you felt unable to raise that for her was there anybody else who could speak on your behalf? I had my own boss at the time say things like and this this is this is um a bit awful but as a joke my boss would say when are you going to hurry up and murder that baby so you can get on with it um oh. Yeah, and and so when people make jokes like that, you kind of think, okay, I guess I'm making a big deal out of it. Um, I just have people that were so casual about it. Yes. I had one person who told me, you need to keep this child, you will, you will regret it if you have an abortion, and I remember thinking, but I, I'm too scared. Yes. I'm too scared to be... I'm, I felt like if I was left to raise a child on my own, I was too scared. I was, I, can, I was concerned of what people thought. I just, I didn't want to go through it alone. Thank you for saying that. And I'm very conscious that there are women listening to us now who have chosen an abortion 
And I wonder what you say to that woman. I think for me personally, um, what what I've really what I've realised is that people say that abortion is private, but I actually think that we are keeping it secret. And those are very those are two very different things. Um, and that's the thing. And all, what I found that I couldn't grieve because I was the one who essentially let the procedure happen. So I know that for myself, you feel that you can't grieve or have any sympathy because ultimately I allowed it to happen. And what I want to say is that you can grieve. And that's what I love so much about Linda and Sarah's places, that they validated how I felt. Yes. They actually validate that I could grieve a child that I ultimately allowed to, you know, to be aborted. That's Leanne, who was... uh receiving assistance from Sarah's place in Sydney. Um, And you can hear the rest of that if you go to our Open House podcast page, openhousecommunity.com.au. You'll find that interview from last year. Well, Jeanette Harris is from Emily's Voice. It similarly provides support for women, and it's based in Queensland. Jeanette, welcome to Open House. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, likewise. Good to have you here. We just heard Leanne's story of, well, coercion. Is that an unusual story in your experience? Actually, it's it's not at all. I mean, I work for uh, the organisation Emily's Voice and we help Australians to fall in love with uh, with their unborn babies so that hopefully they won't make an abortion decision. Um, And time and time again, we hear stories of women who um, are uh, encouraged to abort, even at the very beginning stages of a pregnancy so obviously the first people that they tell it's either going to be a partner or family and then it's the GP um, and then depending on what their circumstances are if they go in there with any sense of um, I wasn't thinking that this was going to happen and now it has often the first uh, thing on the menu is well would you like an abortion and that's not necessarily what they want to hear. Yes the um Pro-choice advocates say it's a woman's free will decision, and if it was a free will decision, that would be one thing. But I, uh, I, I seem to hear quite a lot now from people such as yourself that free will is not always as free as it should be. Uh, and that's exactly right. What we know from research is actually 70% of all women who find themselves in an unplanned or a crisis pregnancy situation actually don't want to go through with an abortion at all. They want to be, they want to be encouraged. And they say that if somebody had just encouraged them even one word to continue their pregnancy, then, then they would have done so. So often they're in this um, uh, you know, immediate trauma mindset, and they're wanting um, a solution, but they're but they're looking for positive encouragement, and you know that's where they that's where they get in 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 a muddle, if you like. Now, the other aspect of a free will choice is that it ought to be an informed choice. That's true. Are women in in possession of all of the relevant information when they no. make that choice? 
<laughs> no, not at all. So if you were going in for any kind of other surgery, you would be presented with a, a, a leaflet of you know that particular part of your anatomy, a diagram with all the kinds of information or everything that was going to happen during the surgical procedure. When you uh, when you go in for for an abortion. You, they say that you're going to get counselling. Often that doesn't come at all. They will just ask you, do you or don't, don't you want it? And the person you know, sitting there often says yes when they mean no. And, and then they, they go into the procedure w- without any information at all. So, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's not at all a fair example. Mm. And often what we have heard is that even the coercion from the people working in the abortion clinic is um, it, it's all about getting the appointment fulfilled so they don't want you to walk out of the clinic and think about it they want you to go through the process and they want you to get into the room as quickly as possible just to you know just just to get through it so somebody who is really wrestling with that decision which can often be right up until the very last minute you know before before a procedure happens mm still doesn't know what decision they're going to make and they should have the opportunity to be able to get up and get out at any, any point and, and often they're just not strong enough. Well, just going on the observation of what Leanne said to us, just to take her story alone, that wasn't the case then and no, they didn't even ask, do you or don't you want? They simply asked, why do you want? And by Leanne's account, which we've just heard once again from her own mouth, uh, the answer I've been in a short-term relationship with the baby's father was was deemed to be a good reason. But you've got examples, in fact, even in your own life, Jeanette, of where there's coercion even in some ways from the system itself, which you, you feel that you faced as a mother for the first time at the age of 34. Yes. Um, that's right. So, um, you know, I'm, I met my husband in my late twenties. Um, you know, we we got married. It wasn't long before we started uh, trying for for a family. And when I found out I, I was pregnant, we were completely overjoyed because it had taken us two years to conceive. But because I was um, I was 34 by the time I had him, so you know, uh, 33 when I fell pregnant, because I was that age, I was actually deemed to be an older mother. So my uh, information went into a computer program which spat out at the other end that I was at a much higher risk of a a baby with Down syndrome. And even though we went through the process of, um, and the the extra ultrasound and all the tests Mm. that they do Mm. uh, for a Down syndrome baby, Mm. uh, I was still asked if I wanted to abort. Now that was my first child I then went on to have two more children and because each time I was older I I was my you know my risk assessment went up and I was still asked each time would you like an abortion and really it was quite harrowing because I'm you know I was in a a stable I still am you know in in a stable marriage and had absolutely no intention of it hadn't even crossed my mind yes but here's the system uh almost inviting you in that sense. Our guest is uh, Jeanette Harris. She's the marketing manager and a spokesperson for Emily's Voice, an organisation in Queensland which um, in- encourages Australians to fall in love with the not-yet-born y- not children. And we'll come to that aspect of Emily's Voice's work in a moment. Jeanette, do you think anything in some ways changes or what changes as the result of the 
change in the law in Queensland? Well, um, for, for the woman on the street who finds herself in an unplanned pregnancy situation, the gates are now flung wide open. So where before it was um, deemed to be uh, a criminal offence and not a health issue, um, there were parameters in place, even though there were 14,000 abortions in Queensland uh, every year at that point, um, to, to, to safeguard a, a, a woman's decisions. Now the gates are flung wide open, and what it means is that a, um, a baby can be uh, aborted now up to term with the referral of two doctors for any reason. So you could decide... Um, the day before your baby is due to be born that you're carrying a boy and you want a girl and, you know, suddenly you are, um, you know, allowed to um, let that baby go. Well, if you can get two doctors to agree. So you would at least hope, surely, that given that information, no doctor, no ethical doctor would give an approval for such a thing, for a sex choice alone. But the problem is that there is, that there's no safeguard for conscientious objection now. So um, e- even so, you, so up to 22 weeks, you only need one doctor. Beyond 22 weeks, you you need two. Now, if a if a doctor has a conscientious objection, they will now need to refer that on. Now, if the next doctor has a conscientious objection, they will need to refer that on, and so on and so on. So basically what it means is the abortion will be approved at some point because there's no, there's no allowance allowed for you to have conscientious objections. So the whole, you know, do no harm uh, line that the medical community sits under is kind of just thrown up in the air now. It just makes no sense to me. Goodness. So are women required under the Queensland law now to, to say why they're seeking an abortion? No, they can uh, if they want to, but it doesn't, it, it, it won't matter. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's um, psychological, financial, lifestyle, you know, life stage, whether they're at university and it's not the right time. Um, Or as we've seen in other countries, the the sex of the baby, which is, well, that's horrendous. In ancient Rome, uh, I'm I'm told by scholars that um, unwanted children after birth were taken to the outskirts of the city and left to die in the sun. And often that was because the child was a girl and not a boy. And I'm also told by scholars who know uh, that it was Christians, the early Christians, who went to the outskirts of the city and brought those children back in and cared for them. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what do you say to that? We just want to all open up our homes. And, you know, for every for every child that is aborted, there are, you know, a huge amount of families in this day and age who are desperately mm. wanting, you know, wa- wanting a child or more children I- in their family. Mm. So... Is we're, we're living in crazy times, and just what baffles me more than anything else is that uh, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to get political here, but it's the it's the politicians which are making these decisions. Mm. Is is that they see it as a health issue? They're saying it's a women's health issue, and 
it, it only looks at, what, at, at one side. It's looking at, well, do you want this? You are pregnant now. But the fact is that you're pregnant. There is a baby in your body. And if you allow the baby to continue to grow, it will, it will grow and grow and grow stronger and it will be born. And when it pops out, you will call it a human being. Now, the fact is, of course, we all know that it's a human being, you know, from, from, the, very, from the very beginning. But when you say that it's a woman's choice, it doesn't allow any room for the baby. And, of course, you've got, um, you know, laws like um, Zoe's, Zoe's law yes. and those kind of things, yes. which, yes. you know, when a baby, when a mother is... Uh, well, it's a, there's a higher killed. penalty for killing a mother with child in in utero than there is for um, for killing an unpregnant a woman who's not pregnant. So that, at that level, the law is protecting the unborn. At the level yes. of the abortion, the the law is silent on the case of the unborn, and yes. that's that's a dilemma in anyone's language. That is a that is a complete contradiction. How yeah. you resolve that con- contradiction really, I suppose, says something about your own personal ethic. Um, Emily's Voice is the organisation, and Jeanette Harris is with us from that organisation. So Emily's Voice was found to, in your own words, help Australians fall in love with the unborn and yeah. encourage and support women facing an unplanned or a crisis, uh, crisis pregnancy. So the issue really is on, is on the proactive, on the positive, rather than the negative, which can sometimes be what people hear from a pro-life yeah. organisation. So how does Emily's Voice work? What do you do? Well, what what we do is we produce beautiful, hope-filled media campaigns. Um, they run under the brand Not Born Yet, but they are funded by the support arm, which is uh, Emily's Voice. And those, uh, the media campaigns are are beautiful stories. They're beautiful stories of of love and of life and of uh, women and families actually navigating the journey of an unplanned pregnancy together. Um, and, and coming through and coming through the other side. So whether it be um, a family who has been trying for um, for a baby for a long time, uh, whether it you know whether it's being a diagnosis of Down syndrome, whether it's a teenage pregnancy, or a or um, or a husband and wife who thought they'd finished their family and then ten years later find out that they uh, are pregnant again, yes. and it means yes. the wife giving up work. Yes. We we are trying to show the everyday person that um, that these that these are be- that these are beautiful stories and to and and to encourage people because if you've got somebody at home who's sitting sitting there going oh my goodness I'm on my own everybody's telling me to have an abortion nobody's encouraging me to continue and they see one of our ads that can be uh, the difference between literally life and death and we we have those examples where people have have seen our ads and decided to to keep their babies. Wow. And, yeah, that's just amazing for us. Well, what are some of the stories that speak to you, Jeanette? Um, well, we have one that is just an amazing story is a, a story of Nikki who found herself pregnant at 16. She just arrived in, a, in, in Australia with her mother and discovered that she was pregnant. And she went to the doctor actually having decided that she didn't want to have a termination, but, but the doctor was coercing her to have one, telling her how she wouldn't be a good mother and how could she do this to her parents. And she actually had to stand her ground and even her, her mother wasn't sure whether she wanted her to have the abortion or not. And they actually got to see the ultrasound 
in in the room. And when the uh, grandmother, as she really was, saw the ultrasound, it kind of really sunk in that this was a baby. Um, mm. And she sat there and just thought, well, we we can't do this. And now she's got beautiful Naya, her little girl, and you know she's she's raising her child and she's doing a really fantastic job at it. And we've got so so many stories like that. Um, You've got the the Rowans, um, who the, the uh, AFL player who discovered that they were pregnant with with twins, and one of them uh, was diagnosed with a disease which meant that she wasn't going to live beyond birth. And instead of choosing termination in in utero, they actually cho- chose to walk the journey out, and they got to hold both of their babies uh, alive when they were born, and they. They they showed all media, um, you know, their, their story and have had a, a fantastic influence on, on people out there. So it's really, for me, it's those, it, it's, it's the journey of life. It's the stories, the beautiful stories of people um, coming up against circumstances which, which seem like they can't get beyond them. But through encouragement... It really is through the power of people encouraging each other through saying congratulations, congratulations on your pregnancy. Um, You know, that's what that's what does it. That's what does it for me. That's everything when people encourage Mm. each other. Yes. Now, when people know that it's Christians involved in this work, um, they often take the the view that the Christians are going to be judgmental. And, uh, you know, there is a certain prototype, if you like, or archetype or um, cliched view of, of Christians who are pro-life. Um, and some of the campaigns have, have been a little distasteful, perhaps, uh, over the years. Maybe they've not been that successful, I, I suspect, if they're, mm. if they're as distasteful as, as some we've seen. But yeah. that's not your approach, is it? Yours seems to be more like those Christians in first-century Rome who went out and took in those children that no-one else wanted. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, the facts, the facts of abortion are graphic. You know, there's there, you you can't deny that the actual, you know, the process, the surgery, what actually happens when a baby is aborted is completely horrific. But there are plenty of other organisations out there doing that and showing that. And if people want to look out that information, then I encourage them to go and do it. But at the end of the day, for us, love wins. You, you know, if if you are loving another person, whether you're encouraging them with the word of congratulations, whether you're saying, whether it's an arm around the shoulder and you're, you're saying, it's OK, I'm here, you can do this and we can, we can do it and I'm here for you. Yeah. Or, or it's us as an organisation encouraging other people to be those people and as well as doing it ourselves, um, it it almost takes away the need for a pregnancy support centres. You know, if it, if, it, if it walked itself out like that, I mean, we do need pregnancy support centres. They do an incredible job. But just imagine if each one of us encouraged a person in that situation um, and o- opened a door or opened a room or um, made a meal for them or said, I will walk this journey with you, I will come to appointments with you, mm. that's a walking, talking pregnancy support centre. And mm. that's, that's what we're trying to uh, also encourage Australians to be so that actually the need for abortion will become so rare and uncommon that it doesn't matter what the law says.
that's our, that's our hope. Well, that's a wonderful, um, a wonderful mission statement. As it were, we're in a very, um, a very Jesus-like way of doing things to walk with people even through their messiness. And what uh, finally, Jeanette, about women who have been through abortions, of which there are many, um, and they may, for those who are, <clears throat> pardon me, for those who are feeling a sense of regret, what what do you, what do, does Emily's voice say to them? Well, we we are here, no matter what the situation so uh, we do a lot of our communication through social media and and in the old days um, advertising was just advertising you would communicate a message one way and, and we all know that that's not the way communication works right now it's about commute it's about community so we yeah. we have the opportunity 24 7 to actually engage engage with people online and we and we do we do get people um you know, come to our Facebook pages and, and, and Instagram and such and, and tell us that they have had abortions and, you know, whether it be last year or sometimes 40 years ago and people are still grieving from, from what they have gone through, uh, we're, we're, there, we're, we're there with words of encouragement. We also have um, pages on our website which are full of resource. So where you don't have the resource when you're going into an abortion or even coming out of one as to what the effects might be, you know, what the what the post-surgery um, effects might be, we do have all that information and we have lists of, uh, of organisations that we can refer people to. But sometimes I might get a message through or one of us might get a message through you know, late at night where somebody is going through something and we will just send them a kind, a kind word through social media. Right. So I, I think, you know, the message is just about um, being, being available and mm. choose kind and love wins. That's it. Indeed. Well, Jeanette, thank you so much for your work and thanks for, what, uh, and thanks for speaking with us tonight. The websites are notbornyet.com, notbornyet.com. Dot com, and Emily's Voice, the organisation behind that, is emilysvoice.com. Jeanette, thanks for being with us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. That's Jeanette Harris. And these are views you don't always hear in the abortion debate, especially in other media, and uh, we do like to provide all sides of the story. We like to give people perspectives for discussing these issues that maybe inform them in a different way from uh, the usual information that's out there, which is sometimes filtered through uh, um, a worldview that is distinctly non-Christian, or at least um, not in keeping with uh, not in keeping with what the Bible would tell us. These are hard questions. And if there's to be free choice, it needs to be informed choice. And the information needs to be complete. You're an open house around Australia. So in a moment or two, uh, we're going to be talking about another perspective you might not ordinarily hear. The perspective of someone who has actually taken over the responsibility for two refugee teenagers and brought them into her house as a custodian. That's Emma Adams, and she's coming up after this. Join the chat. Follow Open House Community on Twitter and Facebook. Open House with Stephen O'Doherty. If you're in charge of the cleaning contractors at your workplace, Shelley's Prestige Cleaning wants you to do something. Go down on your knees and look under the desk. Oh dear, goodness me. And that's not the only place you'll find the floor hasn't been vacuumed, probably for years. Get new cleaners. Shelley's Prestige Cleaning is offering free carpet cleaning for all businesses. Conditions apply. Station sponsor Shelley's Prestige Cleaning. Visit shelleysprestigecleaning.com.au Why does station sponsor Chemist Works in Stockland Wetherill Park have doors? 
That doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, Chemist Works in Stockland Wetherill Park is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, including public holidays. That's every second of every minute of every hour of every day, 365 days a year. So why does Chemist Works in Stockland Wetherill Park have doors? I don't know. You're going to have to go and ask them yourself. Do it any time. They'll be open. From the very first call that I made to TJ Andrews' funerals, things went smoothly. I particularly appreciated the highly personal touch of the home visit. Straight away, they gave me confidence to rely on their expertise, which shows they're able to make people feel at ease at a highly vulnerable time. Station sponsor TJ Andrews Funerals. And the day of the funeral was handled with precision, but most importantly, with respect and care. Visit tjandrews.com.au Join the chat. Follow Open House Community on Twitter and Facebook. Around Australia, this is Open House with Stephen O'Doherty. Good afternoon to you in Perth um, on Inspire Digital. It's, um, it's a nice afternoon. 25 degrees and mostly sunny tomorrow. Light winds becoming southwesterly 25 to 40 kilometres in the late morning and then reducing a little in the late evening for Perth. There's a 0% chance of rain and pretty high UV at 10 in Perth tomorrow. Uh, but always good to have you with us. And Darwin, 34 for you tomorrow, 10% chance of rain. Um, a very high fire danger as well in uh, both the Darwin and Adelaide River areas and also the Northern Fire Protection Area, and an extreme UV rating of 14 for Darwin. Partly cloudy and um, some light winds during the midday, turning around a little in the evening. Did I mention 10% chance of rain in Darwin? That would be a little bit of a relief, wouldn't it? Zero four double zero double four eight. 402020 if you'd like to text to us tonight. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.